Welcome to the Hackberry House of Cho Sun. My name is Bob, and I want to thank you for listening and ask you to look around my site. We've got 3,500, almost 3,500 audios featuring preachers, great ones, and persecution stories from North Korea and other lands. We've got Bible studies. My books are on Amazon.com. Can contact me at bob.j.faulkner.72 at gmail.com and do check out my new website that allows you to tune in to the new Hackberry Radio. Just go to hackberryhouseofchosun.com and take a look and then a listen. I'm reading today from the Free Grace Broadcaster. That's a quarterly that's put out by the people at Mount Zion Bible Church in Pensacola, Florida. Uh, The topic this quarter is peace. The fall of 2023 topic is peace. And to speak on it today, we're going to be reading the words of Charles Spurgeon. I don't think I need to introduce him to you. His text, Isaiah 57, 21. There is no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. No peace to the wicked. Among the greatest privileges of the believer in Christ are those choice blessings, rest and peace. Believing in Christ Jesus unto eternal life, he knows that his sin is pardoned, that he is a child of God, that omnipotence will preserve him even to the end, and that he will, by and by, be with Christ where he is, not only to behold, but also to share his glory forever and ever. Consequently, his heart is at rest, for he leaves all that concerns him, whether in the present or the future, in the hands of his heavenly Father, casting all his care upon him who careth for him. Therefore, he has peace, perfect peace, in his soul. This peace and rest, which the believer enjoys even here and now, will deepen and increase until in eternity they will reach their perfection and the child of God will forever and forevermore in the blessed state above be without even the slightest disturbance of heart and will rest in the presence of God with his glorified spirit as full of joy as it can possibly be. The Apostle Paul truly writes, We which have believed do enter into rest. But he also adds, just as truly, there remains, therefore, a rest to the people of God. These choice privileges of rest and peace belong, however, exclusively to believers. The wicked have no portion in them. They are, according to the testimony of Holy Writ, like the restless sea, which is never quite quiet, even in its greatest calm. It's never to be trusted for a resting place, but ever and anon is lashed into fury, seething like the contents of a huge cauldron, and hurling up from its depths the mire and dirt that have lain there unseen. Such is the condition of the unregenerate heart of unrenewed man. First, then, here is a fact observed. The wicked are like the troubled sea. Who are these wicked people who are like the restless waves of the turbulent ocean? I take the term to describe two classes of sinners. First, by the expression, the wicked. As used in the scriptures, we must often understand overt transgressors, persons who are living in the 
indulgence of open and known sin. And then secondly, there is another class of sinners, not open transgressors like the others that I have mentioned. No, but still, they've heard the gospel. They've rejected it. Consequently, since we cannot put them down in any other category, and since their sin has a special aggravation about it because of the light and privileges that they have enjoyed and yet despised or neglected, they also must be put down with the wicked. They too are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. Let us begin with those whose sins, as Paul says, are open beforehand, going before to judgment. Why are they unrestful and unpeaceful? First, because they are themselves swayed by restless passions. There are some sins which will not let a man be quiet so long as he indulges in them. Take the sin of lust, for instance. Who can ever satisfy its cravings? Let a man once indulge his evil passions, and can those passions ever be satisfied? No. They keep on getting more and more hungry, as a man would become the more thirsty through drinking brine, salt water. Does lust ever, of its own accord, cease its cravings? No. It is insatiable as the grave itself. It will suck a man's very life away unless the grace of God shall mercifully and miraculously interpose. If thou, young man, dost give thyself up to what is erroneously called the pursuit of pleasure, it is quite certain that thou wilt not find rest for thy soul in that direction. Thou hast taken a dose of poison that will make thy blood hot and feverish, and that will cause true rest to flee from thy pillow. This is a subject upon which I cannot say more in this public assembly, except to add with the preacher of old, Know thou that for all these things God will bring thee into judgment. The first reason, then, why the wicked man's heart is like the troubled sea is because there are evil passions within it which will not let it rest. The next reason is because the wicked man is agitated by the memory of his old sins. Suppose him to have been, for some years, engaged in an evil course, dishonesty or unchastity. He cannot, even if he tries, forget his sins. They have burnt themselves into his very soul. What is even worse than the memory of sin, I suppose that you know how every sin breeds other sins, so that every time you sin you have a still greater tendency to commit more sin. This is a fact that is strangely true as to the body and as to the soul. We wear tracks for ourselves where there were none before. If we have, at first, to force our way through the brushwood of conscience and to cut down, as it were, the old timber of our early instruction and the gracious examples set before us in our childhood, By and by we make a trail for ourselves and then a beaten track. It becomes ever easier and yet easier to sin. Uh, No, uh, more than that, uh, there seems to be a pressure put by habit upon a wicked man so that what he once did from choice, he comes at last to do because he must. Sin in the soul is like leaven in the dough. 
It heaves and ferments. Though it was perhaps put into you twenty years ago or more, it will go on fermenting and working until the whole of your manhood or womanhood shall be soured by it. Beside all this, the ungodly man is like the sea for restlessness because, like the sea, he is governed by a greater power than his own. The sea feels the force of the moon and is agitated and stirred by the mysterious agency of the winds, and the wicked man is under the dominion of the prince of the power of the air. If for a while he would be at rest, Satan will not permit him to be in peace. He puts opportunities of sinning before him and then excites the desire to indulge in the evil thing. Satan is no myth. They who think that he is surely a myth cannot have opened their eyes, or else they would have discovered in their very unbelief in his existence that he had given them that belief or unbelief. Those who have stood foot to foot with Apollyon or the devil, fought with him and and overcome him in the hour of temptation, will never doubt that there is a great fallen spirit who strives to lead men into sin. Satan and his myriads of helpers still lie in wait for the ungodly or openly drive them into fierce lusts and evil passions so that they sin again and again. I do not wonder that a wicked man cannot rest because such a man is out of gear with the entire universe of God. Lift your eyes to yonder starry orbs and remember there is not one of them disobedient to the law of its maker. The comet, which was thought to be uh, having an irregular orbit, eccentric they say, obeys in all respect its great creator's will. Everything that you can see from the tiny atom of dust that is borne along by the wind up to the huge Atlantic billow in which the Leviathan feels at home is under the power of the divine law. From the archangel before the throne of God down to the midge, the the small insect, like a gnat that dances in the summer sunbeam, everything is obedient to the Lord of all except the wicked man. And he says, I will not obey him. Well, as he is out of gear with all the rest of the universe, is it any wonder that he is restless as the waves of the sea and that there is no peace for him? If you were to set yourselves to disobey the physical laws of the universe, for instance, paying no regard to the law of gravitation, leaping from a church spire, falling down a precipice, you know what would come of such madness. If you ever set yourself up in opposition to law, You may depend upon it that law will get the mastery over you, and the man who lives in disobedience to God's moral law will find that it will be the same with him, and he will have no rest forever and ever. As God's servant, I must say to you very plainly and very earnestly, you cannot possibly find rest and peace in the course you are now pursuing. May God enable you to escape from your sins and to trust in Jesus Christ, his Son, that you may have both joy and peace in believing. Let me say to you, who are living without Christ, that however excellent and amiable you may be, I know that you are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest. I know 
some special times when you cannot rest, when you, when you hear of others being converted, your brothers or sisters coming forward to confess Christ, your friends or relatives rejoicing in Jesus as their Savior. Ah, you say to yourself, they are restful and peaceful, but I am not. I know how you feel on communion nights sometimes when you must go away or, or to look on as others gathered around the table of the Lord. You do not feel easy then, do you? And you feel very uneasy too when any of your companions die, those who are very much of your own sort. Oh, you attend their funeral, and the thought strikes you, shall I die as they have done without Christ and without hope? Shall I pass away from under the sound of the gospel without having given any evidence of conversion? You do not feel easy then, I know, and, and sometimes you feel very much like the troubled sea when conscience begins to call you to account. You are not at rest, for you have not come to Christ, who alone can give you rest. If you hear the gospel faithfully preached, you cannot be at rest. Some of you try to be satisfied with a false peace, but by God's grace, we will plague you to Christ yet. We will love you to Christ. We will incessantly worry you until at last you yield yourself up to Jesus. Some of you are, are getting on in business. God's been very gracious in preserving you in life, restoring you from sickness, keeping you in health. You have a better situation now than you ever had before, and yet you are not restful. You feel grateful to God for all his goodness to you, and yet you say, there's something more needed. Yes, and that something is the one thing needful. I am thankful that God is prospering you, but I hope you will never be able to rest until you have done that one thing needful, the grace of God. Some of you are very thoughtful, and when you get alone for half an hour, it's very awkward for you, for there are, are certain problems that you cannot solve, and they sorely perplex you. Worst of all are your forecasts for the future. Sometimes you look ahead and you picture yourself upon a sickbed and you say, can I die triumphantly as I am? You know you cannot. And then sometimes, sometimes you picture yourself rising from the dead when the angel's trumpet blast is sounding and the quick and the dead are standing before the judgment seat of Christ. You cannot bear to think of that great white throne and the separation of the righteous from the wicked. For you know where you must go unless a great change is wrought in you. Uh, though not outwardly wicked, you do not belong to the sheep. Then you must go with the goats. And when you think of this, and the future stands for the moment, present before your mind's eye, your spirit, it's like the, it's like the troubled sea when it cannot rest whose waters cast up mire and dirt. I, I would that you had rest. Now, secondly, only for a minute or two, in our text there's a, a sentence pronounced, no peace. You notice that the words there, is, are in italics because they are not in the original. And so the text runs, no peace, saith my God, to the wicked. It is God himself who says it, there may be a truce, for God is slow to anger, but there is no peace. 
God is at war with you if you are among the wicked. You may be under the delusion that there is peace, but God's voice of truth shatters that delusion to pieces. There can be no peace where there is unpardoned sin. Until you have humbled yourself before God and sought and found mercy, God is at war with you, and you are at war with him. There can be no peace where there is no purity. God has no peace with sin and never can have. Like a devouring fire, his holiness burns against sin, and thou must be made pure. Thy nature must be changed. The love of sin must be killed in thee, and thou must as vehemently love that which is good and right. Or else God's voice still thunders from heaven's burning throne, no peace, no peace, no peace. But I will go to church and receive the sacrament, says one. You will get no peace that way except a false peace that's worse than none. I will attend the means of grace with the dissenters, <laughs> a group that was against uh, the laws of the established church in Spurgeon's day, the dissenters. I'll just I'll go to be with them. I'll be a dissenter. Well, you'll get no peace that way if that is all that you do. If your sin be unforgiven by God and if your nature be unchanged by the Holy Spirit, all the righteousness in the world will bring you no peace. Well, then I will weep an ocean of tears. I will offer prayers continually. No, no peace will come to you that way as long as you remain wicked. For God says, no peace, no peace. And wicked you must remain until Jesus washes you white in the fountain filled with his precious blood and until the Spirit of God renews your nature. Another says, But I'll promise to be better and do better. I'll amend my ways, so you say. And, and so you should. But still saith my God to the wicked, No peace. What say you to all this? Behold your God in arms against you. Omnipotence comes forth to war against you, the creature of an hour. Will you submit? Be wise, I pray you, cast down your weapons, cry for mercy, accept the reconciliation that Christ has wrought. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, has suffered the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God. If you will but trust him, what he did shall be accounted as yours. That is to say, the punishment that he suffered shall be reckoned as if you had suffered it, and the righteousness that he wrought shall be counted as if you had wrought it made it happen. And God shall accept you in his son's place and for his son's sake. More than that, the Spirit of God will overshadow you, give you a new heart and a right spirit, and take away the heart of stone out of your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Are you willing now to yield and end this unequal war and, and be at peace with God? Then the Lord who gave his son once gives you his son over again into your heart, and he says, Peace, peace, go in peace. Your sins, which are many, are forgiven you. He who with his heart forsakes his sin and unfeignedly believes in Jesus shall have the peace of God, which passes all understanding. But he who will keep his sin and so remain among the wicked, or who will keep his self-righteousness and so refuse the salvation of Christ, has nothing to go home with but this, no peace, no peace. And oh, to die with that terrible knell that is a, a signal of disaster, of, of a bell ringing, no peace. 
uh, to look up to God and to hear him say no peace, to have the prayers of your friends for you but to feel no peace, to, to lift your own eye to heaven but to find prayer freeze upon your soul as you hear again this sentence from God the judge, no peace. And then follows eternity in which there is no peace. God grant this may not be the sad portion of any one of us, but may the Lord give to each of us peace, perfect peace, for Jesus' sake. Amen. That was from a sermon that was published on Thursday, June 2, 1904, and delivered at the Metropolitan Tabernacle, Newington, on the Lord's Day evening, May 21, 1876, by Charles Spurgeon. Well, that was from the Free Grace Broadcaster. If you'd like to receive the Free Grace Broadcaster, it could be sent to you every three months, totally free, no, no obligation, whatever. Just send an email to chapel, C-H-A-P-E-L, chapel at mountzion.org. All of that's one big long word, no breaks, chapel at mountzion.org. Well, this is the Hackberry House of Chosun, and Lord willing, we will talk again real soon. Bye-bye.